Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Women aren't just going to forget who is responsible for this, who ripped away their dreams of building their families. Outcry after a key ruling in Alabama recognizes human embryos as children. The in vitro fertilization, the IVF industry, really treats children in a way that is completely undignified. Theological, legal, and ethical analysis. In Nebraska, a target on children with disabilities. We break down the bill making its way through the state legislature. Expanding surrogacy. One state looks to lift limitations on this process, a dive into the emotional, psychological, and physical impacts. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory. An even bigger win than we anticipated. Donald Trump sweeps the primaries in South Carolina and Michigan, taking nearly 60% of the vote in the GOP primary in Haley's home state of South Carolina and nearly 70% of the vote in Michigan. Despite these major losses, Haley is not backing out of the race, vowing to continue her run for the White House at least until Super Tuesday on March 5th. The GOP candidates are already drawing lines in the sand on the latest pro-life controversy, in vitro fertilization, or IVF. The Alabama Supreme Court sparked national debate on the ethics surrounding IVF in their recent decision that children preserved as embryos are protected under state law. Alabama Supreme Court judges wrote that unborn children are children under the act without exception, based on developmental stage, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics. The ruling stems from a wrongful death case filed by three couples after their embryos, which were created through in vitro fertilization, were accidentally destroyed. A patient at the hospital the children were being stored at somehow gained access to the lab. That patient grabbed the embryos, which were being stored frozen in a cryogenic enclosure, and dropped them on the floor, killing them. One of the things that I think is very important from the Alabama State Supreme Court ruling is that it recognizes that human life begins at conception and that these children should be protected no matter where they are, in their mother's womb or in a laboratory. In fact, it points out that the in vitro fertilization process kills huge numbers of children uh, at the embryonic stage. Trump came out strongly against the ruling on social media, saying, we want to make it easier for mothers and fathers to have babies, not harder. That includes supporting the availability of fertility treatments like IVF in every state in America. Nikki Haley told CNN's Jake Tapper that she conceived her son through artificial insemination, but also said, quote, I think that the court was doing it based on the law, and I think Alabama needs to go back and look at the law. The IVF debate also reaching Capitol Hill, where many lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are coming down against the Alabama decision, including Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. Some Senate Democrats are already working to enshrine IVF protections federally. You cannot support IVF and support fetal personhood laws. They are fundamentally incompatible. You are not fooling anyone. My Access to Family Building Act, which would ensure that every American's right to become a parent via treatments like IVF is fully protected, regardless of what state they live in. 
The Biden administration is sending the nation's top health official, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, to Alabama in the wake of the ruling to meet with doctors and patients there. Catholic social teaching prohibits IVF due to the massive destruction of embryonic life. IVF also separates the creation of life from the marital act and treats the new life of a child as a product, not a gift. IVF is just one way couples procreate through what the fertility industry calls assisted reproductive technology, or ART. According to the Centers for Disease Control, there are more than 450 clinics for ART in the U.S. In the most recent report from 2020, nearly 80,000 infants born were conceived through alternatives to sex within marriage. The cost of IVF is expensive, averaging around $19,000. For that reason, many couples choose to discontinue the process. That's when their embryonic children are essentially thawed and thrown in the waste bin. Estimates on how many frozen embryonic children exist today in the U.S. vary, with reports ranging from 400,000 to as many as 1.5 million currently being preserved on ice. I spoke with Emma Waters, a research associate in the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation, about the ruling in Alabama. She gave us a deeper understanding of its potential impact. Take a look. Emma, thanks for joining me. Let's get right into it. IVF technology has been around for a while. Can you explain how it's impacted society long term? So the creation of human life outside of the womb, where a sperm fertilizes an egg in a petri dish, has totally upended society's understanding of what it means to uh, procreate human life. So instead of procreation within the bonds of man-woman marriage, now children can be created at will by any adults who simply have the right parts, whether they come from themselves or they come through sperm and egg donation. Mm. So the way that we think about children has been radically changed through this process. Yeah. And and what are the ethical implications of that and this technology, especially when we are talking about, you know, couples growing a family. So when it comes to the ethical concerns with in vitro fertilization, one of the primary things that people cite is the routine destruction of human life. So in a normal in vitro fertilization process, clinicians will create anywhere between 15 to 20 embryos at a time. The goal is then to test these embryos to see if they have any genetic issues, or even if parents are looking for a particular sex, say a boy or a girl, they have the opportunity to choose. Then the embryos that are selected can either be implanted into the intended parents or can be frozen for a later time. Mm. Of course, for the embryos who are unwanted, this means that they're routinely destroyed or donated to science where they're also later destroyed after having inhumane tests done to them. Yeah, thank you for laying that out, Emma. It's important for people to know exactly what's happening here. And with this Alabama case, a patient somehow gained access to the facility and dropped embryos, grabbed them and dropped them, thus destroying them. But these facilities, as you're mentioning, they destroy embryos all the time. So what was it about this case that caused the court to make this strong statement on the humanity of these little children? So in this case, the destruction of embryos did not come from the clinic itself or even from the decision of the parents, but from an unauthorized patient from the hospital next door, as yeah. you mentioned. So after this took place, the parents involved actually sued both the clinic and the hospital under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act because they rightly felt like they had been severely wronged in the killing of their embryonic children due to the negligence of the clinic. So this actually took what has already been happening in the case, but really framed it through the compassion 
compassionate lens of the parents who now have lost the opportunity to raise these children that they hope to implant one day. Mm. And we've already heard that the University of Alabama at Birmingham Hospital announced that they will not do any more IVF treatments. Emma, do you predict other hospitals will follow suit here? They potentially could in the coming days, though it's important to note that this ruling does not yet extend to no destruction whatsoever of human life, though the Alabama state legislature could take it that far. Mm. Right now, the ruling only says that frozen embryonic children through negligence, um, if they're destroyed, parents could sue the fertility clinic. So the University of Alabama and other fertility clinics either ceasing treatments or threatening to do so suggests that potentially they know that their own standards of care for embryonic children aren't up to snuff, and maybe they're actually trying to protect themselves ahead of time, or they're just trying to uh, pull a fear tactic, suggesting that somehow the ruling of the justices is actually shutting down in future fertilization when that's not actually the case. Mm, I see. And, and in Louisiana, uh, it's standard that no viable embryos created through IVF are discarded, but no other states besides Louisiana and Alabama really have directives on this. Do you think that this Alabama ruling could have a more national impact? Oh, it certainly will, and it actually already has. There was a hearing in Florida where they're considering their own wrongful death of a minor child act. And a pro-life advocate actually encouraged the legislature to include an embryonic child in this ruling. Mm. So Florida is already working to extend um, and mimic what Alabama has done, but through the legislature. And I imagine that you'll see other pro-life states do a similar thing, because as Alabama pointed out, this isn't a change in laws, but it's the natural extension of laws to protect not only unborn life in the womb, but unborn life created through in vitro fertilization. Sure, sure. And, and Emma... Related to this, you've written that in other countries, such as Spain, Israel, China, just to name a few, the IVF industry is booming. Talk to me about how the prevalence of this technology globally matters to us here in the U.S. Yeah, so this technology is a multi-billion dollar industry reaching, I think, around 22 to 25 billion in 23 alone. So a lot of countries who are struggling to either increase their um, total fertility rate or come back after severe demographic decline, like China and Hungary in particular, mm. are using these reproductive technologies as a way to hopefully allow adults to have children who otherwise wouldn't be able to do so. The problem, again, with this treatment, though, is first, so far, the widespread use of this technology even when it's sanctioned by the state and uh, required to be covered under health insurance policies, has not actually resulted in a meaningful increase in children being born in any of those countries and not in the United States yet. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because in vitro fertilization trains adults to think about children as an act of the will rather than a gift from God, um, something that they can decide when to bring into the world and then they can decide when to take out of the world through abortion, you're actually fueling the very mindset that led to demographic decline in the first place. Instead, what we need is a pro-family culture that actually celebrates the unborn child and the life to come to really encourage widespread societal change. Mm, I appreciate your insight on that. And, and Emma, will there be major changes in the way that these fertility facilities run, do you think? Um, extra security added measures in light of this Supreme Court case. Yes. So in Alabama, the current, at least so far as the ruling is concerned, it will really mean that uh, fertility clinics will need to have heightened security and be sure that none of their embryos are being destroyed through their own negligence, either through unsecured areas or the treatment and storage of the embryos. As the ruling noted um, by the chief justice in the concurring opinion, however, is the Alabama state legislature will really need to build out the rest of the details. And so I think we have a lot of really exciting conversations coming in Alabama as they decide what the best 
treatment is for these embryos who are being created and perhaps even adding in limits to how many embryos are created at a time and potentially limits on what you can test and select for. Emma, that was a lot to unpack. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and for joining us today. Emma Waters of the Heritage Foundation. While Alabama's Supreme Court decision is not a law, it has already had an impact on access to IVF in the state, with some facilities pausing their services due to concerns that they might get into legal trouble. There is one state in the union that has a specific law banning the destruction of embryos outside the womb. That's Louisiana. We'll keep you updated as the news out of Alabama evolves. In Nebraska, state lawmakers held a hearing late last week on a bill that targets babies with disabilities. LB 1109 would allow babies who are believed to have certain conditions in utero to be killed by abortion up until the age of 22 weeks old. Current Nebraska law bans abortion after 12 weeks. Some of those fetal anomalies include trisomy 13 and trisomy 18, conditions that have a high survival rate after birth when babies are given proper care. Pro-life leaders spoke at the hearing asking lawmakers to oppose this bill. LB 1109 operates under the idea that a human's being life should be ended because its span may be shorter than the average human lifespan. The bill introduced by Nebraska State Senator Merv Reapy would also remove criminal penalties for these abortions. Father Ezra Sullivan, a professor of moral theology and psychology at the University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome, joins us now to weigh in on what's happening both in Nebraska and Alabama. Father, thank you for being here with me. Let's first talk about Alabama. While the Catholic Church is not against exploring treatments to help with fertility, it does teach that IVF is never acceptable. Can you expand on why? Yes. You know, the issue of IVF is sensitive because a lot of people are having trouble conceiving in this time. And there are lots of different reasons for why conception is difficult. But ultimately, the church says that we want to go the natural route. Something like IVF ultimately separates the things that God wanted to be together. Love and marriage, conception, procreation in the very marital act. And so what IVF does is it, it unites the sperm and the egg of the mother and father outside of the marital act within you know, a hospital or some sort of laboratory. And what this does, then it breaks apart this marital bond between the husband and the wife. And ultimately, it's bad for the child, too. Right. And so it can lead to problems of identity for the child, as well as it, it's often harmful to the marriage itself. Mm. And we know that as a result of IVF being so prevalent now, there are thousands upon thousands, perhaps over a million embryonic children who are frozen in facilities across the U.S., the U.S. alone. Um, what's to be done about this? Is there guidance from the church on what should happen to these children? Right. And this is one of the great difficulties in IVF is that many embryos are, as it were, conceived yes. outside of the womb. And then parents often have to sign a waiver saying that the, the storage facility has the legal right to destroy their children or to use them for experiments. Yeah. So the, the church is clearly against this kind of production of children in a, a mass machine kind of way. And what should we do about it? Well, this is actually very controverted. I've directed a number of different master's theses 
that try to argue one side or the other. And so far, the church has not spoken definitively about this. Should we um, try to allow parents to conceive these children since they already exist? Should we baptize them? And in that moment of baptism, the embryo unfortunately cannot survive. These are quite difficult issues. And as I say, there's no definitive uh, resolution because it's a situation that John Paul II would say is irresolvably evil. Mm. There's no way to solve it without some kind of moral problem arising. Mm. And evil does exist in the world. So I think we this is a good, good time to kind of remind ourselves of that. Um, Father, you spoke about potential baptism for these children. When they are thrown away, cast aside, is there ever any sort of memorial service that can be celebrated for them? Any special prayers that we can be saying for their souls? Well, absolutely. Of course, we can always pray for anybody from the first moment of conception until their death, even after the death, we can pray for people. So the, the difficulty with the frozen embryos is that they exist in a laboratory or they are being preserved artificially. Mm. And ordinarily, there's no way to enter into this situation to rescue the embryos, to baptize them. So it's kind of a theoretical idea, really. Mm. Um, and, and probably what would be the best to avoid surrogacy, which is also itself a problem, because then it's separating motherhood from being in the womb. Right. Um, so to avoid surrogacy, then probably what the church may recommend is to allow these embryos then to die a natural death. Hmm. But of course, if we're able to baptize them, certainly we should attempt it. Of course. And Father, thank you for your expertise on that, your knowledge. Let's move now to Nebraska, where some lawmakers, they want to target children with disabilities for abortion. Your reaction to this? Well, this is this is absolutely appalling. And we know where this goes, that first they say it's something like trisomy 13 or 18. We know that Down syndrome children are aborted in very high rates. And then they start to say things like it's not even for physical deformity. It's going to be for a, a an economic situation or it's a racial situation mm. in some parts of the world. Girls are aborted in much higher rates. And so it leads to a huge demographic problem and this great inequality. And so we would say in no case whatsoever can we kill an innocent life, no matter what kind of disease they may have or what sort of genetic disposition they may grow up with. Right, right. And Father, you know, it seems that with both of these big pieces of news this week, what we're facing is really a human inclination to take godly matters into our own hands, in particular when it comes to the supernatural creation of a family. Um, what do you make of this? Well, one of the difficulties that we need to accept as human beings is that we're weak, we're imperfect. And sometimes when, for instance, we have trouble conceiving, sometimes that's our body's way of saying that maybe we need to find another way to give life to the world, another way to serve others. And on the other hand, when God gives us children that have any kind of difficulty whatsoever, whether mental or physical, physiological as they develop, well, that's a gift that God has given to those parents. They should feel assured that God wants to give them the grace to be able to generously accept that gift of life mm. and to help that life to survive to its fullest extent. Well said. Father, thank you so much for joining us and for your knowledge on this again. It's been an honor to have you. Father Ezra Sullivan. Thank you for having me. 
So what happens after IVF? Many couples use this method for surrogacy. One state is looking to change their laws on the process. We'll explain. Plus, the fight for life continues with state marches across the U.S. One state leader shares her personal story. That and more when we return. Welcome back to Pro-Life Weekly. The Michigan Catholic Conference and Right to Life Michigan are blasting a state bill they say would commercialize surrogacy. There are two primary types of surrogacy. Gestational surrogacy is when the surrogate woman has no genetic connection to the baby. The embryo is created through IVF. Traditional surrogacy is when the surrogate doubles as the egg donor and is the biological mother. Embryos are created via artificial insemination. Right now, non-compensated surrogacy is legal in Michigan, but the state bans paid surrogacy contracts. Violators can be charged with a misdemeanor and face jail time. Catholic social teaching forbids surrogacy, and Pope Francis recently called for surrogacy to be universally prohibited. I deem deplorable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child. The Pope went on to say human life must be preserved and defended at every moment of its existence. Genevieve Marnin, Legislative Director for Right to Life Michigan, joins us now with what the fight for life on the ground looks like on this issue. Genevieve, thanks for being here. Before we get into the details, tell me why you're personally very opposed to this surrogacy bill and why you're passionate about ensuring that it's not signed into law. Well, as a woman, I am very personally invested in this topic because I don't want women exploited for their wounds and I don't want children commodified. So we are working very hard to defeat this nine bill package here in Michigan that would commercialize this industry, surrogacy industry in our state. Mm. And do you think this change to allow women to be paid for surrogacy in Michigan will impact the prevalence of it? Talk to me about about what it will really mean specifically in terms of how much surrogacy happens there. Right. So right now, Michigan is more in line with the rest of the world in the sense that we allow uncompensated altruistic surrogacy in our state. With with the surrogacy contract, you are going to commercialize this and Mm. you're going to get the the fertility industry and third-party brokers, and we're going to see a lot more of it. But more importantly, almost every one of these has an abortion clause in these contracts. Mm. And, of course, excess embryos are thrown away in the process of of the surrogacy uh, business. Right. Yeah, that's very concerning. Genevieve, talk about the emotional and psychological impacts of surrogacy for the women carrying the child and the parents. Well, there's always almost almost exclusively there's a disparity between the income levels of the commissioning parents Mm. and the surrogate mother. And unfortunately, it becomes very exploitive because women will often become surrogates for financial reasons. And so you're almost like renting your womb, for lack of a better word. And and it's very exploitive. Yeah. And what rights, if any, do the parents have over a woman who agrees to be their surrogate. Uh, what is What are these women signing up for? Well, every contract's different, but I have seen some that mandate that you don't dye your hair, that you have to eat certain foods, that you have to avoid certain, certain foods. It's almost like indentured servitude for nine months, and it's really 
And any one of those violations could be a breach of contract for which the surrogate is responsible financially and legally. Mm. So it's very tenuous. And I, I don't think any woman should be put in that position. Right, right. And of course, there's a concern, too, that same-sex couples can use the surrogacy and egg donations to create children through technology. Can you elaborate on how this would impact those children and society more broadly? Well, this is a very broad nine-bill package that would really upend all of our parentage laws in the state of Michigan. It would do away with the terms mother and father on all birth certificates, Mm. and it would allow unrelated, unmarried people to contract for a child in common. So donor eggs, donor sperm, rented womb, these intended parents may be same-sex, maybe they may be opposite-sex, but they don't have to even live in the same household to mm. become intended parents under these uh, these bills. Wow. So they're very dangerous and well beyond surrogacy in that regard. Yeah, yeah. That's troubling. We're really grateful for the work that you're doing on this, Genevieve. Thanks for kind of giving us the down low, and uh, we're, we're praying for you and your state. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. State marches continue in the U.S. in Virginia. Thousands took part in the state's sixth annual march despite the cold. Governor Glenn Youngkin marched alongside his constituents. Throughout his tenure, he has advocated for the Virginia legislature to advance stronger pro-life laws than those currently on the books. And in Georgia, hundreds took part in the March for Life in Atlanta last week. Auxiliary Bishop Ned Schlesinger led the opening prayer before the rally, proclaiming the sanctity of human life as God's creation. State Representative Lauren Daniel shared her story of keeping her first child at the age of 17. She brought that child, her oldest son, up on stage with her. Georgia is one of several states that enacted a heartbeat law before Roe v. Wade was overturned. We'll continue to follow state marches around the country throughout the year. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. But before we go, we want to remind you about a massive Catholic event, the National Eucharistic Congress this July. You can get discounted tickets through EWTN. Log on to EWTN.com forward slash Eucharist to sign up. Thanks for joining us. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.